Good morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can open up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Um, I'm going to let you know I got a frog in my throat this morning, so I apologize if I have to clear my throat or cough. Hopefully on your way in today, uh, you saw all of those canned goods that were out in our lobby decorated as Christmas trees. Um, those were a gift to us from the Dublin Primrose School. So Megan Tenerillo, who works on our team now, coordinating mission stuff for us, she used to work there and they did a canned food drive on our behalf. And what, here's what's really cool. Um, tomorrow, we're going to be picking up 10 full Thanksgiving meals, and we're going to combine what we got from the Primrose School with what we get from the Powell Sertoma Club, which provides those meals for us, and we'll disperse those across Northwest Columbus to families that need a Thanksgiving dinner. And what's so cool about that, we've gotten really good around here at doing missions that uh, other people pay for, and uh, well, I just think that's amazing. We have two organizations pay for all of it, and we get to go on behalf of the church and in the name of Jesus and provide meals to these folks and I just think that's incredible. And so I'll give some more details on that at the end today. Well, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 today. You might notice in your worship guide, and I apologize, um, we were going to be in Romans. And uh, I kept coming back to Luke chapter 5 for the last two and a half weeks uh, based on something I saw in Brazil this week. And I want to show you some photos of that. Just kept coming back to, the, back to this passage, and I just felt like the Lord was saying, hey, let's go back to this familiar passage, a little reminder of what God has called us to as followers of Jesus, and then we'll pick up Romans again in January. So if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word, <clears throat> we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 11, and God's Word says this, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's Word, he was standing by Lake Genesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake, and the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets, and he got into one of the boats which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and he was teaching the crowds from the boat. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, that's Peter, as often we know him, put, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but if you say so, I love that, I'll let down the nets. And when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners and the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he, he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Do not be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Verse 11. Then they brought the boats to land left everything, and followed Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. Lord, thanks for your word. God, I pray even as we look at, maybe this is a familiar passage, a familiar story to some of us today, Lord, that you would bring fresh eyes to this, Lord, that you would help us see our calling as followers of Jesus. Lord, we exist to help people find and follow you. So God, would you give us ears to hear from you this morning? Lord, we don't only want open ears, but I pray for soft and receptive hearts, God. Whatever may be on our minds in this moment, Lord, would you allow us just to place that to the side for the next 20 or so minutes so that we could hear from your word? And God, would you give us obedient hands and feet as we live out the truths that we encounter in the scriptures? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a couple weeks ago, as many of you know, when I got to spend some time in Brazil, I got to see something, and this isn't maybe that exciting to you, but this was exciting to me, something that I had seen photos of, I'd read about in the scriptures specifically, but I had never seen in person, and it was commercial fishing 
on the Amazon River. And so we had been in this one city. We took a boat ride 24 hours down the Amazon River. And so we were in a remote part um, of that area of Brazil. And to see commercial fishing on the Amazon River, I think we have a photo of that. Can we put that up there? Maybe. So I was, took this picture. I was on our boat that we had been on there in Brazil. And to see these guys, they, this was about uh, an hour and a half, two hours after they had started. And so very simply, as you can see from that photo, um, they were uh, probably other side of the river, a little bit further across the way. And I walked out to our dock and I saw all these guys. There was about eight or nine of them in total. And they were taking this net and they were almost making like a large U-shape out there in the river. And after they had made that large U-shape, maybe you've seen or heard of this before, um, that net would have weights on the bottom of it that would fall down really deep into the river. And there was like a cork top on this net. And they made that U-shape, and then they began taking their boats, and they would come closer and closer to shore. And as they got closer and closer to shore, what they were doing is, as teams, they were pulling this net in, so this U-shape that was starting to shrink and get smaller and smaller. And you could see them as they were pulling this net in, that as the closer that they were getting to shore, so right here is when they all jumped out of their boats and they're pulling, the closer that net got to shore, the more that they were struggling and struggling and struggling. And I wish I would have got video, because in this moment, I don't think you can see any of them right here. But you could see as that net got closer and closer and more and more compact, that fish literally just started shooting out of the air. I mean, these things were jumping like crazy. You could see them all over the place, jumping out, trying to escape this net. And as they're pulling and pulling and pulling, more and more fish gathering and gathering, they're struggling and struggling more. Eventually, these eight or nine guys pulled this thing in and dumped it into a boat. And their boat was literally, I think we have another picture there. It doesn't do it justice, but that was one of two boats that was overflowing with these fish, piranhas included, by the way, which was super scary. And I saw that, and for the first time, this Bible story came to life. Watching these men on the Amazon River, I couldn't help but think, and I read this scripture that morning after I saw it, of this moment here in Luke chapter 5. Because this moment in Luke chapter 5, maybe a familiar story to you, kind of encompasses what I believe for Peter, James, and John in the fishing world was likely the greatest catch of fish that they had ever seen or experienced before. And this story, we can read this and go, wow, that's a really cool fishing story. I'm glad we read that this morning. But there's so much truth packed in this story that I want us to walk away with today. Two simple things that I think are important before we really dive into this passage. The first off is we are reminded in this passage that we serve and worship the sovereign ruler of the universe. In this simple story, we're reminded of this fishing story that we serve the supreme sovereign ruler of the universe, that God commands even the fish of the sea where to go when he tells them where to go. And the second reminder for us, and um, there's a purpose in this because I want to share a story with you at the end of this message that's going to impact our Finding Hope Center today and remind us why Jesus has called together this church. I want to remind us why Jesus has called you as a follower of his, what he's called you to do. I want to remind us why we exist as an organization here. So let me give you a little context here to Luke chapter 5. If you're a note taker, you can write these things down. So we're about um, roughly uh, three and a half years or so into Jesus's earthly ministry. Um, this, this three and a half year period is getting ready to start where he's going to go and minister physically to the people of the earth. Previous to this account is when Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. You might remember that story. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 4. 
where the devil comes to Jesus in a time where he was very hungry, he was fasting, and he comes to him with three things. The first was the lust of the flesh. Jesus was hungry, so what did the devil tell him? If you turn these breads or this, these stones into bread, then you can feed yourself. What does Jesus do? He quotes scripture back to the devil. Then the lust of the eyes. He, he looks out across um, the city that Satan had taken him to, and he says, all of this can be yours if you simply bow down and worship me. And what does Jesus do? He, he confronts the devil with scripture. Then he confronts him with the pride of life, and he tells him, if you're really God, then jump off the pinnacle of this building, and the angels will come, and they'll save you. And what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture back to the devil, ultimately causing him to flee. This is free for you this morning. Christians, we need this. Are you ready for this? The greatest weapon that you and I have against temptation in this life is the word of God. You see, if you want to combat the attacks of the devil that are going to come against you as a follower of Jesus, you need to make sure that constantly you're staying in this book. You are, are helpless and hopeless if you're not connected and anchored in the scriptures. I, I think it was Spurgeon that said years ago, if you want to see a life that's not falling apart, find a Christian with a Bible who, that is falling apart, right? That's what Jesus has called us to. So we want to combat temptation. What do we learn from Jesus? Go to the scriptures. That's, tuck that away. That was free. Hopefully that's helpful to you. But this event bumps up against that, that story. All right, so Jesus is coming out of that temptation. Four things real quick as he calls Peter, James, and John to follow him. The first is we see big crowds of people. Big crowds of people. So we see here in verse 1, they're in this region called Gennesaret. Northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. You may have heard that before in your Bible. Heavily populated area. And the Bible says here in verse 1, just imagine this in your mind for just a second. In verse 1, that people were pressing in on Jesus. There were so many people that wanted to hear what he had to say that they were literally pressing in against him. That's like if, uh, if you all saw this past week, Taylor Swift sold out 2.1 million tickets in like 10 minutes for her concert. There was that many people. Imagine going to the Taylor Swift concert. There's that many people. Some of you are like, Taylor Swift, are you serious? Sorry, this is Aaron trying to be relevant. We're going to move on, all right? Imagine that many people pressing in against you. And what happens? This was not uncommon for the ministry of Jesus. He did miracles. And as he was healing people, all of these people would show up because they wanted to experience this power that he was emitting. He was healing so many people, but this time is different. I want you to circle this in verse 1 of Luke chapter 5 because look at this. The crowd is pressing in, the Bible says in verse 1, on Jesus, not because of the miracles. Why? To hear God's word. To hear God's word. The Bible says that literally these crowds were coming because the literal translation is they wanted to hear words from God. Now, did they fully understand the divinity of Jesus up to this point? Most likely not. But they knew something about Jesus was different, that when he spoke, he spoke with an authority that was from God. Luke is trying to show us something here with these crowds that are pressing in on Jesus that they knew something was different about the words he was speaking, that the authority that he spoke with was different than the other rabbis. And there was something about Jesus that they knew that they needed to come hear him if they wanted to hear from heaven. But what does the Bible say? That as they're pressing closer and closer in, they're pressing a little bit too close, Jesus has to figure something out here. And he steps into a boat. I've always thought when I've read this passage, and you may have heard me teach on this a few years ago when we, we looked at this, wouldn't it have been awesome early in Jesus' ministry, rather than him getting in a boat, if he just like slowly stepped back out on top of the water? You know, can you imagine that? And he's like, ha check this out, you know? 
I would think that would have been amazing, but that's not what he, he chose to do. He looks over in verse 2, and what does he see? Two boats owned by Peter, James, and John. These guys who had been out there fishing all night, and now they're mending their nets, preparing for the next day of fishing. We saw that picture there. Uh, that's what those guys did after they unloaded all of those fish there in Brazil. But the Bible says in verse 3, he steps into one boat specifically, Simon Peter's boat. He, he motions to Peter, I'm going to get in your boat, push me out from land a little bit, and I'm going to continue to teach. And this is what ama- is amazes me. We can read this story, and can you imagine if you were Peter, you'd just been out all night fishing, and this random Jewish rabbi comes up to you and says, hey buddy, can I step in your boat so I can teach these multitudes of people? It's not what's going on here. This is really important. You can make a note of this in your Bible. This is not the first time that Jesus has met these guys. That's what's so interesting is sometimes we read this, especially in verse 11, they left everything to go and follow him. This interaction maybe in total was two hours, something like that. You really think they would have left everything to follow him at that point? No, they knew Jesus. They had had interactions before. He wasn't some stranger who stepped into Peter's boat and was like, hey, can you take me on a trip? And Peter's like, yeah, random man, let's go. That's not what's going on here. You can actually read in Mark 1, Matthew chapter 4, other interactions similar to this surrounding fishing where Jesus was interacting with these three guys. You can fast uh, go backward one chapter, Luke chapter 4, where we see Jesus actually went to Peter's house and healed Peter's mother-in-law. So they had a relationship at some point. These guys knew about Jesus. They knew what he was about. They knew the message that he taught. But here's what I love. Luke 5 is where they get it. This, I believe, is where they start to get it. Years ago, I heard a study. Hopefully, this encourages you. So I know some of you in this room, some of you watching online, you've got prodigal children that have walked away from Jesus. You've got family members you're praying for, and you've shared the gospel over and over. Lifeway did a study years ago that said it takes typically seven interactions with the gospel before somebody makes a personal decision for Jesus Christ. These guys had interacted with Jesus likely on multiple occasions, but it wasn't till Luke chapter 5 when they finally got it. Let me encourage you from the word of God today. Don't give up on the person that you're praying comes to know Jesus as their savior. Don't give up. Keep pressing in. Keep sharing because you don't know how long it's gonna take. We saw a big crowd. Then in verse four, we now see a big request. So he starts teaching the crowds from Simon Peter's boat. And then look at verse four. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out in deep water and let down your nets for a catch. This is a big request by Jesus. For these guys, likely, we know historically, that fishing was a big deal to them. It took a lot of energy and effort. They likely would have been out at night, hopefully when it was cooler. Fish were closer to the shore. They probably didn't catch much. So now they're in Luke chapter 5. They're bringing in their nets. They're mending the nets, and they're tired. And what does Jesus tell them to do now in the heat of the day? To go out and try again. Verse 5, it says it was the daytime. This was different than they typically would go fishing. Here's the second thing. Jesus was not a fisherman. Jesus was a rabbi. He wasn't a professional professional fisherman by any way, shape, or form. If anything, he was a carpenter. Now, let me give you a little practical example. Two months ago, I had to take my car into the mechanic, and I I have this tendency for some reason. Every time I go to the mechanic, they always find something wrong. Hmm. Anyways, they had my car up on the lift. That's why Pastor Joe is my personal mechanic now. Anyways, but they had my car up on the lift, and uh, the guy calls me, he says, Mr. Taylor, I need you to come out here. And he, he has my car up there, and he's pointing at all these things, and he's using all of these technical terms. I'm not a mechanic. I tried to change my oil one time. It cost me $150 because I messed it up that bad, okay? That's just who I am. I'm not ashamed of it. 
had my carpet lift, and he's explaining all of these things that were wrong. And you know what I didn't do? Because I'm not a mechanic. I didn't look at him and go, yeah, no, you're wrong. <laughs> Actually, this is the problem. Why? Because he's an expert in his craft. That's not what I do. And so I find it interesting here that Jesus, he's not a professional fisherman. He's a carpenter. He was the carpenter from Nazareth, this Jewish rabbi who's telling these professional fishermen who were at least second-generation fishermen, the sons of Zebedee, they knew what they were doing. He's telling them to cast out their nets again in the place that they had already cast them. And what do they do? They listen. Look at verse 5. Underline or circle that word in your Bible, the word master. This is important because this word's only used seven times in your entire New Testament of your Bible, and it's always used by Luke. And every time that Luke uses it, he's using it in reference to one of the 12 disciples. And the intent of that word master was to express that somebody has authority in your life, therefore you're going to listen to what they say. Peter was not saying that Jesus was God yet. He wasn't there. But he did know that Jesus had some sort of authority from God. He just wasn't quite sure what it was yet. And then look at this right here in verse 5. Master. He's saying, you're the boss. You've got authority. So we're going to listen to what you say. We've worked hard all night and we've caught nothing. Peter's questioning a little bit. Yeah, Jesus, we know you have authority. We know we should listen to you, but we just went fishing out there. These nets were gigantic. We, we tried that spot and we didn't catch anything. They're probably exhausted. But look at verse five again. But if you say so, if you say so, I'll let down the nets. You're the boss, so I'll listen. It seems foolish, but we'll do it. Here's a principle for us, and this is a principle that has guided the story of our church the last five years. God often operates in the illogical and the impossible. God often operates in the illogical and the impossible. I don't know about you, I could show you prayer journals from the last five years where I've written down things like, Lord, that doesn't make sense. God, there's no way we could do that. Lord, why would you ask us? We've already tried that. Remember the principle. God often operates in the illogical and the impossible. What are we called to do? If you say so, we will do it. What is God today? Trust me for the results. I love that, that idea communicated here in verse five. So now what do we see next? We see a big miracle, verses six and seven. These guys let down their nets and what happens? Verse six says that they caught a great number of fish, so many that their nets began to tear. I can't imagine how weighty these things were. They signal the other boat to come around. They lift up all of these nets. The boats begin to sink. Think about this for just a second. Here's just, let's talk about the character of God here for just a moment. They'd already fished that spot. They knew fish weren't there. How did the fish get there if they weren't there before? Ever thought about that? It really could be one of two things. Think about this. Some would say that it was just the omniscience of Jesus, meaning that he knew that the fish had migrated that direction, and he told the fish, you, you, like, he told the fishermen, just go there. They've moved that direction. Go cast your nets, and you're going to pull some up. Some people, this is what I prefer to believe, Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus has dominion and authority over all creation. And I believe in that moment that Jesus told Peter, go cast your nets where you just like did just a few minutes ago, and here's what Jesus did. Fish, go there. Fish, go there, because you're going to get caught by a man named Peter. I'm not sure exactly how it happened. Y'all, that's pretty cool, by the way, Right? Like, uh, I heard a preacher years ago, he said, uh, when God said, let there, this is side note, this is in the nose, 
When God said, let there be light, he said, imagine that. God said, let there be light. And what happened? It wasn't that light necessarily just appeared. It was that all the protons, neutrons, and electrons that were necessary to make light fell in order and went where they were supposed to go. Imagine that for just a second. Like God has that much authority over all creation that when he speaks, creation moves. Romans 8 verse 19 says that creation eagerly awaits the return of Jesus. Meaning, I believe that the scripture teaches that creation stands ready to do whatever God tells it to do. Can you imagine if Christians lived that way? There's a lesson for us. God, whatever you say, I will do. I stand ready to obey you. Second thing here, which I think is so important, this is foreshadowing the ministry that Jesus was calling Peter to. Because we see in verse 10, just a couple of verses later, he tells Peter, you're no longer just going to fish for fish. You're going to fish for people. For the first time in my life when I was in Brazil, I got to share those very words with a Brazilian fisherman who gave his life to Jesus. You know how cool that is to say to somebody? This guy was a commercial fisherman on the Amazon River. He gave his life to Jesus, and we were able to say those very words to him. No longer will you just fish for fish, but now you have a task, a mandate, and responsibility to go out and get those who don't know Jesus yet. You're going to fish for people. Think about Peter's ministry after this, just a few short years. Acts chapter 2, he stands up between, uh, in front of a multitude of people from every nation on the earth. He preaches the gospel. Acts 2.41 says that those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day 3,000 people got saved. Can you imagine if that happened to us when we showed up at the Powell Memorial Day Parade and we were on a megaphone sharing the gospel, 3,000 people got saved, and they all showed up to church the next Sunday? I mean, we would lose our minds. Some of you, we'd make you, you would have to work in kids' ministry, even though you don't want to, right? I mean, you would have to. I mean, it's amazing what God had called Peter to do, and he's given him a glimpse. He says, Peter, life is so much more than the earthly task of catching fish, But if you're going to be one of mine, you have a bigger calling. It's finding people and sharing the gospel with them and drawing them into the family of God. It's a pretty big calling. Look at verse 8, point number 4. The big calling. Verse 8 says that when Simon Peter saw this, he saw this catch of fish, he fell at Jesus' knees. It's an important posture. He said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. It's the moment where things change for Peter. Notice a couple verses earlier, he said, Master, you're the boss. Now in this verse, what does he say? Lord, you really are the boss of my life. You're the boss of my life. He goes from the concept of a savior to Peter's actual savior in some capacity, as much as he understood at this point. It's interesting there, that phrase, go away from me. I would circle that in your your Bible. That's an important note because that's literally a word. Some Bible translations actually say, have mercy on me or forgive me. It's this idea similar to Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah was in the presence of God. Do you remember what Isaiah said, Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 5? He said, woe is me for I'm a sinful man. This is the same idea communicated here in Luke chapter 5 that when Peter finally realized who Jesus was in this moment, he simply cries out, have mercy on me. He's beginning to realize that he is a sinner and he needs Jesus. And from there, what what happens? Jesus gives Peter a new purpose, a new commission. He's no longer going to fish for fish. He's going to fish for people. Think about that. He had been in that daily cycle. He told Jesus this. We cast our nets out there. We have to clean our nets up, and we're going to do this again, and we're going to do this again, and we're going to do this again. Friends, don't you think your life has more purpose 
behind it than waking up every day, Monday through Friday, and pressing a time clock, and then pressing a time clock nine hours later, and going home, and eating dinner, and watching TV, and going to bed, and doing it all over again. That's just fishing for fish. And that's important. The Proverbs command us to work hard and to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. But if that's the extent that our life goes, gracious, we're missing it as followers of Jesus. Because what did he say in John 10.10? I have come that you may have life, and then he follows it up, life abundantly. See, the calling of the Christian is not simply to fish for fish, but we've been invited into the story of fishing for people. And there's no greater joy than doing that. When you get to heaven and you stand before the throne of God, God's never going to ask you, how much money did you make over the span of your lifetime? He's not going to ask you that. How high did you move up in ranks of where you worked? He's not going to ask you that. What he will ask you is, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you steward what I gave you? How many people are now in heaven as a result of your life? Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says that they brought the boats to land. And I love this. I would underline this. I have this circled in my Bible. They left everything and they followed him. Y'all, we talk about this a lot, that Jesus can't just be a concept in your life, but he has to be Lord of your life. Because when he becomes Lord, the purpose of your life shifts. When Jesus is Lord of your life, your life's no longer about you. It's wholly and completely about him. It's not about expanding your kingdom. It's about expanding his kingdom You see your life as something bigger. It's part of a bigger story. Think about this. I love to to remind folks of this. That means that if you're a, a teacher in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, that you're not just a teacher, you're actually a missionary who God has sent into the school system as a missionary, who you're a secret agent, you're a teacher, but you're actually a Christian sent as a missionary. If you work in the medical field like many of you do, you're not just working in the medical field, you're not just a doctor, you're not just a nurse, You're actually a missionary that God sent into that hospital to introduce people to the one who changed your life. If you work in manufacturing, you're not just on an assembly line. You're a missionary on the assembly line with the express task of making sure that everybody around you knows the Jesus that you claim to follow. And even, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. You're not just a stay-at-home mom. You're a missionary that Jesus sent into your home to make sure that your children know who Jesus is and they grow up loving and serving him. Years ago, I came across this quote. My mama has this on her refrigerator. I think I I told you all this. My mom was a stay-at-home mom my entire life. It was one of the greatest blessings that I've ever had. She has a quote from Andy Stanley on her fridge. I do not advocate for Andy Stanley, but this is one of like three good things he's ever said. I'll just say that that way. And And he said this. He said, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God might not be something you do, but it might be someone you raise. Wherever Jesus sends you, you are a missionary, and he saves you now into a calling. What's the calling? Wherever he places you, you use that, wherever that is, you use your gifts to expand the kingdom of God. That's our calling as Christians. So what's the reminder for us today from Luke chapter 5 as I close? Number one is this. We serve the sovereign God of the universe. Nothing surprises him. He can tell fish where to go. He can do whatever he wants because he's over all things. Colossians chapter 1. He's not surprised by what's going on in your life. Nothing happened to you that didn't first make its way through his fingers. He's that sovereign. I hope you know that this morning. And what's the second thing for us? Remember your calling as a follower of Jesus. Jesus didn't save you just to go fish for fish. That's not why he saved you. He saved you to fish for people. That's why we exist. 
That's why we live and breathe. That's why he left you here the moment he saved your soul. You ever thought about that? How come I prayed to, uh, for Jesus to change my life when I was 15 years old, and the moment I got up and I said, in Jesus' name, amen, how come in that moment Jesus didn't go and suck me up into heaven? Why didn't he do it? Because there were more people that I was tasked with telling about what he did in my life. You see, if you're still alive, God's not done with you. He has a task for you. Let me close with this quote from John Piper. He said, remember, this is where we got the title for the message, you have one life, that's all. And you were made for God. That's why we live, breathe, and exist. Can I pray for us? God, we love you. I pray this, this uh, message encouraged your church this morning. God, the two simple reminders that we serve the sovereign king and master of the universe. Lord, we need to be reminded of that. Because like the psalmist talks about in Psalm 23, sometimes it feels like we are in the valley of the shadow of death. But as we see in Luke 5, and we're reminded in Psalm 23 that even there, you're with us. And God, we can trust you. God, I pray even the reminder, Lord, that God, you've commissioned us with the gospel. That's why we exist. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be salt and light wherever you send us as missionaries. And God, may we never get tired of hearing that truth. May it provoke us to action. God, I pray now as we have the opportunity to sing in response to the word of God, that, Father, that you would turn your ear from heaven to hear our voices. God, as we give you the praise that only you deserve. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Thank you.